What expectations do you have of the holidays? Are they usually met or usually dashed? Welcome to episode 229 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Debbie, Marianne, Eric, Daniel, Pat, and Anonymous. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Debbie, Marianne, Eric, Danielle, Pat, and Anonymous for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. Take what you like and leave the rest. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. If I sound maybe a little hoarse, it's been a trying day. I was heading up the stairs this afternoon to record the podcast, and I heard my dog, Jake, starting up the stairs behind me, and then I heard him sliding down the stairs, and I heard him yelping and whining at the bottom in distress. And it didn't stop like it often does when he misses his step on the stairs. And I went down, and he was lying there, and he wasn't able to get up. And to make a very long story short, we had to say goodbye to him today. He had injured himself in a way that really was not repairable and or would have required extensive surgery and a long convalescence, and I don't think that would have been fair to him. He would not have understood what was going on. So, my throat's a little raw, my eyes are puffy, my nose is stuffed, but life does go on. I wanted to talk about holiday expectations, holidays and expectations, and that was moved to this by two things. One is, well, the holidays for many of us are coming up or we're in the middle of them. And I read, I read this share in the forum magazine for June titled, I asked God to guide my words by anonymous. One of the countless new skills I began to learn when I came to Al-Anon was managing my expectations. My need to improve in this area was especially evident whenever I was anticipating a visit with my alcoholic son who lives in another part of the country. Beforehand, I would build up the visit in my mind's eye, picturing our family laughing together, doing fun things, talking easily and affectionately about our lives. But it was never like that. Conversation was constantly strained. It was hard to find any safe topics. Our son didn't seem to want to talk about his work, social life, whether he was working his program or much of anything else. He wasn't particularly interested in doing any of the things I thought would be fun. My rosy expectations bore absolutely no resemblance to what really took place. As a result, these visits left me feeling hurt, disappointed, frustrated, sad, regretful, hopeless, and even a little angry. I definitely had to get my head into a better place. With my sponsor's guidance, I began to study Al-Anon literature on the topic of expectations. I soon discovered that there is a close relationship between my expectations and my level of acceptance or lack thereof regarding the circumstances of my life. My expectations were unrealistic because I had not truly accepted the realities of my son's life and their impact on mine. I was simply turning a blind eye to how things really were. Not denial, but not full acceptance, either. In preparation for the most recent visit, I armed myself with lots of study, prayer, reflection, writing in my journal, and a commitment to constantly seek my higher power's guidance. I literally asked God to guide every word I said and everything I did. 
While I hoped the visit would be, at the very least, pleasant and congenial, I no longer harbored glowing images that had no roots in reality. The visit went better than any of the previous ones, and afterward I felt somewhat at peace. There had been times of real connection and other periods when each of us just went our own way, giving each other plenty of space. I relaxed and didn't try to force things into a mold that would never fit our life. I hope future visits will be even better, but I'm grateful to have learned a new way of dealing with my expectations that I can apply to all areas of my life. I read that, and it took me back to an experience that I'm sure I have related in the podcast previously. My parents were planning to move out of the house that I had grown up in, that they had lived in for almost 50 years. And they wanted us to come home for one more Christmas. I had been in the program a few years at this point. I had two just-turned-teen children. My wife was still drinking. And I knew that whatever expectations I might set up for the trip would likely, not all of them at least, be met. There were obvious ones, like I might expect that my wife wouldn't get drunk, and I was pretty sure that one wasn't going to be met. But the more insidious ones were the expectations that I could have had about the way Christmas used to be and how this visit certainly would be just as good. That we would do all the things that we used to do at Christmas. And I knew that was unrealistic. And so what I told myself before the trip was that I was going to have no expectations that any particular thing would happen or wouldn't happen, and that I would try to enjoy whatever came. And you know, we didn't do all the things I might have liked to do. My wife did drink. The kids were, you know, teenagers. But it was one of the best visits, one of the best Christmas holidays I'd ever had. And I attribute that to that decision, to not hold on to expectations, but to enjoy what came. And so I thought of that when I read this just a week ago, and I thought, what a great topic for right now. I was reading another book, and I found this quote by Lao Tzu, if you correct your mind, the rest of your life will fall in place. And that sounds a little strict, a little harsh, but that's what I did. I corrected my mind by letting go of expectations, and that week fell in place. So as we enter into a season where many of us are celebrating an end-of-the-year holiday, whether it be Christmas, Kwanzaa, Solstice, Hanukkah, New Year, what expectations do we have? What expectations do you have? What expectations do I have? What anxieties does this season provoke? Do you, do I, look forward to spending time with family or dread it? Or maybe you're spending this time alone. And the dashed expectations of what a holiday season should be are affecting you. How can expectations be deadly this time of the year? So if we think about that, and I think to my own experience, one deadly expectation for me could have been expecting it to be just like it was. Actually, could be. Because I am looking towards a visit with my family, with my parents, my children, and my sister and my wife. This Christmas, we're going to my parents' house, where it's a small place. It was more or less built as a vacation home. It has very little privacy, and particularly the guest sleeping areas 
They're up in a loft and separated from the main area of the house by a low wall. And so sound carries from one to the other very clearly. So no privacy, no real way to get alone. So what expectations do I want to not have? You know, what expectations are healthy? What expectations are not healthy for me to have? And expecting Christmas to be just like it was when I was a kid, just like it was when we were young adults and our children were little and my parents were in the prime of their later years. It's an unrealistic expectation and I am doomed to be at best disappointed, angry, could be angry, could be fearful, in despair. My parents are not who they were 20 years ago. I'm not who I was 20 years ago. And if I expect them to be the people they were 20 years ago, I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to be wanting things to be different all the time I'm there. And that's not the recipe for a good visit. So expecting things to be like they were in the past, for me, is a hazard. Maybe your past Christmases were not good. And when you expect your visit home to be like it was, it makes you not want to go. You say, why would I want to put myself through that? Or I have to go because it's family, but it's going to be horrible. You know what? When I set myself up to feel horrible, I very often feel horrible. As we say, changed attitudes can aid recovery. So if we let go of our expectations, like the the person in the reading, let go of our expectations of how we want things to be, or maybe how we're afraid things are going to be. Because that person could have gone two different ways, right? They started out expecting things were going to be nice and they never were, or they weren't what they expected anyway. They could have switched to expecting the visit to be horrible and dreading the visit, but forcing themselves to go anyway. But instead, they say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to have these expectations. I'm not going to have these unrealistic expectations. That's the killer, unrealistic expectations, premeditated resentments, as we say. Do you expect that this year everyone will be happy and glad to spend time together? You know, that's, that's the picture. That's the ideal picture. Everybody's happy. Everybody's glad to spend time together. Nobody ever gets mad at anybody. Nobody ever gets disappointed in anybody. Nobody ever disagrees with anybody. Has that ever happened in your life? Because I don't think it's happened in my life. So those are unrealistic expectations that everyone will be happy and glad to spend time together. The flip side, as I've said, is is dreading the family dysfunction. Uncle Joe is going to get in a fight with my dad. Or I'm going to get in a fight with one of my kids who we have drifted apart politically. And this, this kid is expressing opinions that I really don't agree with, stating as facts things that I don't believe are true. You know, if I go in expecting to have a fight, well, I'm going to have a fight. If I go in understanding that this is the state that they're in, this is where they are in their life, then we can find things to agree about. And I can let go of the things we disagree about. I can remember those neutral responses, as I did in a phone call this afternoon. Well, that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. That could be true. Hmm, I hadn't thought of it that way. Those responses, while not agreeing, because I can't agree, also help me to avoid getting into a fight, which really has no point. I know this kid, I know I'm not going to change their mind. 
So getting into a fight only makes me unhappy. I don't know how they feel about it. Maybe they like having a fight. I'm not sure. I ask, looking forward, how can I set realistic expectations? You know, there are some things that I can expect, realistically. And there are some things that I want to let go of expecting. I can't expect that my parents are not going to be who they were. I can't expect that my mother's going to be very slow because she's physically frail and moving slow. I can expect that we'll have dinner on Christmas Day, that the food will probably be very good, that we will probably enjoy the meal. I can expect that we will sit around sometime during the day on Christmas and open presents and thank each other for what we were, we were given. I'm not expecting that everybody will like what everybody gives them, that I will like what everybody gives me, despite having asked for what I want. And I'm not going to expect that everybody will like what I chose for them. Also not exactly in line with the word expectation, but something that's very important for me in these visits is to make plans to protect my serenity, to give myself permission to withdraw from a conversation if it's riling me up, to give myself permission to take care of myself, to maybe take a nap, to leave the house and take a walk if I have to. It's going to be somewhere between six and eight of us in a very small space. It's unrealistic to expect that nobody will ever get on anybody's nerves and that nobody will ever get on my nerves. And so what can I do to protect my serenity? Like I said, I can take a walk. I can go up to my bed and, and read some literature. I can make a call to an Al-Anon friend if I need to. I can do these things to take care of myself so that I'm, you know, I'm better company. People are more happy to spend time with me when I do that. If your visits, your holidays have fallen into a pattern that you don't like, think about things you can do differently. Think about things you don't have to do just because you've always done them that you hate. A friend of mine told me once when she goes to family gatherings, she sits at the children's table because they don't get into fights. Or if they do, they're sort of pretend fights. They don't drink and misbehave. They're delightful to be with. And, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. And maybe the rest of the family wants somebody to sit at the children's table. So everybody wins. Go for a shorter period of time. If you can stand a couple hours with your family, but not all day, go for a couple hours. Show up for the important thing and then and then leave. Don't stay for the fight. If you need, really need your alone time, maybe stay in a motel instead of staying with the in the family home. Maybe you need to do that. Episode 134 of The Recovery Show was a holiday survival kit. And some of the things I've been talking about came from there, and I focused more on expectations here. But just as a recap, if you want to hear the whole episode, you can go to therecovery.show slash 134 and listen to the whole Holiday Survival Kit episode. Some bullet points here. Plan ahead. Take your Al-Anon literature with you. Talk to Al-Anon friends or your sponsor. Get phone numbers you can call if you need to. Make sure those numbers are in your phone or carry a phone list. Talk about your anxiety or fears with a program friend. And maybe they'll have suggestions. Maybe they'll have some experience about how they handled a similar situation. As I said, don't set unrealistic expectations. And don't try to meet others or your own 
unrealistic expectations. Take care of yourself, getting enough sleep, eating properly, getting yourself time. Have an exit plan, as I talked about. You know, where can you go to be alone? Do you have a way to leave? Don't stay in the, in the family home. Go for a walk, make a phone call. Stay only as long as you need to, as you want to. If you're going to be on an extended visit and you're traveling, plan to attend a meeting. Check the local Al-Anon district website for meeting times and locations. I found that Googling Al-Anon in name of city or name of area works pretty well for that. I've always been able to find meetings. Take the podcast with you. Load up your phone with some episodes and stick in those earbuds. Somebody will think you're listening to music and you're getting your Al-Anon dose. Keep up your recovery routines of praying and meditating. And sometimes this can be hard when you're not in your own space, but do keep in touch with your higher power. Don't forget one day at a time, one hour at a time. Sometimes that's what it has to be. And this too shall pass. The visit will be over. And maybe it will be wonderful. And I hope that by setting realistic expectations and letting go of unrealistic expectations, you can have a better holiday just as I did that year. The first musical selection that I chose, and you can listen to it on the website at therecovery.show slash 229, is by Sia This is off of her Christmas album. I forget the exact title of the album. The song is Santa's Coming for Us. This feels to me like a song about expectations, about, you know, what Santa's going to do. Send off your letters to Santa, baby. Tell him all your secret wishes, too. Send off your letters to Santa, baby, hoping all your wildest dreams come true. this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives and recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I have to say, the big event in my life this week happened today. As I said at the beginning of the show, our dog fell down the stairs and was very clearly hurt. You know, he's been getting older. Everybody's getting older. He's been getting old. His back legs were not working as well as they used to. There have been a number of times when he started up the stairs and his, I don't know, his leg misses the step and and he just slides back down. And usually he's fine. And sometimes he's a little bit hurt, but he gets up and goes right back up the steps. Um, One time I remember he wanted to leap up the steps and he just wasn't making it. And I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, today he fell and he couldn't get up. And he was lying there. He was clearly in pain, panting, a little bit curled up, you know, like protecting something. Every time I tried to move him a little bit, he yelped in major pain. I called my daughter, who lives nearby. She came over, and we sat with him while my wife was on the phone. And I bless her for doing that phone work of trying to find maybe a veterinarian who would do a house call. And there are some in our area, but apparently they don't do emergency calls. Or we had heard from somebody that there might be a pet ambulance, so she started calling around and finally, I think, called the Humane Society. Somebody suggested calling the Humane Society, and she called them, and they gave her a name and a number, and she called. And the guy said, yeah, I'm on another call right now, but I will be over. He came. Meanwhile, we'd been sitting with the dog, who was still in pain. We tried to you know, cover him and keep him warm and, and sit with him and pet him and talk to him and and comfort him. And so the guy came, and the two guys in the pet ambulance 
got him onto a stretcher, not without some yelping. And we did have to put a muzzle on just in case. And they drove him to the animal emergency room, which we followed. Me, my wife, my daughter, her boyfriend. And the doctor came out and said, well, this is what we want to do. We need to sedate him. We need to take x-rays. Gave us a, an estimate of, of what it was going to cost. And we said, yeah, go ahead. And she came out a while later and said, well, we took some x-rays and I want to show these to you. And she showed us the one that showed that his one of his forelegs was broken. The bone was broken and was a multiple break. Comminuted fracture was the word she used. And she said there were lots of little pieces. It was right near the shoulder bone in a place where they really couldn't splint it. They would have to do major surgery, and there's no guarantee that he'd ever really be able to, to walk well again, and there would be a long, drawn-out convalescence from it, too. She said, do you want to go forward with this? My wife looked at me and said, it's your decision. <sighs> well, I cried. I cried because I knew, I knew what we had to do. That I didn't want to put him through the pain and the confusion and the anxiety that the surgery and the recovery from the surgery would cause. That he had had a good 10 years with us this in a dog that typically lives 11 to 14 years, he was 12 and a half. That had we not adopted him, he would have died in his third year of life because he was adopted from a racing kennel and they had decided he was not racing quality. So he would have been put down at the age of two and something. But it was not an easy decision. It was not an easy decision, but what I have learned in this program is to be realistic, to understand what I can do and what is outside of my control. And it was clear that getting a healthy, happy dog back was outside my control. It was not something that I could make happen however much I wanted to make it happen. <sighs> So we made the decision. We spent some time with him, petting him, comforting him. And then I said, okay. I know there will be times in the next few days, the next few weeks, when I will just burst out in tears at something. I will see one of his toys on the floor. I'll step on one of his toys on the floor. And I'll just burst into tears. I know it's going to happen. But I know also that the pain really, the pain would be worse if I was trying to desperately hang on to him. That wasn't what I was planning to talk about this week. <sighs> Talking about loss. I guess another, another motivation for talking about families and expectations and holidays was in my step meeting yesterday where we had two tables, and one of them was going to talk about Tradition 12, which is anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles above personalities. The other table is going to be a Step 1 table, because there was a newcomer. I sat at the Step 1 table, and I talked about powerlessness over my family and the holidays, which was, I guess, another inspiration for this episode. At another meeting last week, a member suggested the topic of frustration and 
That word does not appear in the index of any of our daily readers. We did find a couple of readings that seemed to relate. One of them was from Hope for Today, and I forget what word we looked up that we thought might be connected to frustration, but we found one that sparked some good conversation. And then we had a little bit more time, so we read another one, which was from Courage to Change, October 13, and I really connected with that one. It says, in part, Al-Anon meetings opened my eyes to something I had never thought about before. Shouting and slamming doors were not the best way to handle an already difficult situation. While there may be no harm in occasionally letting off steam with a raised voice, shouting can become a destructive habit. I'd never thought to ask myself if this was how I wanted to behave. Did this behavior get me what I wanted or encourage me to feel good about myself? And I just really connected with that reading because I was that angry person. I was that person who was shouting, who was slamming doors. And it was a destructive habit. And it was not how I wanted to behave, but it it somehow seemed to happen anyway. And coming to Al-Anon helped me to get that out of my life. So as I've said, next week I'll be traveling to visit my family for Christmas. And because of the travel schedule, I will be posting an open talk. I found one that has six speakers who are talking about family and recovery, some Al-Anon, some AAs. I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it, and I learned some things from it. So look forward to that next week. And I'm getting a lot of encouragement from y'all about the parenting topics. I am looking for your experience, strength, and hope about one or more of these. Being the sober parent, parenting a child who is alcoholic or addict, and how recovery has helped you to be a better parent. We do welcome your thoughts. You can join our conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email. And you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website, or if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of holiday expectations, or, as I said, parenting topics, or other topics you'd like us to talk about. And the second song, also available on the website for playing, is We're a Happy Family by the Ramones. And I found a little description of this on the net. It says, This tongue-in-cheek tale of the life in Queens features a drugged-up mom, gay dad, and fly-eating baby, which might actually make your brood seem normal by comparison. Even in this schizophrenic New York family where their troubles never end and there are no Christmas cards to send, everyone's thankful they have each other. Last week, a listener called with some concerns about her nephew and wondering what she might be able to do to help her nephew. Yesterday, I read this essay in the June 27 issue of the forum. It's titled, This Takes Major Letting Go. It's based on concept six, which says the conference acknowledges the primary administrative responsibility of the trustees. And I just want to say, stay with me here because it gets better. Concept sixth is about accountability and how that affects relationships. As a parent, and now a grandparent, I struggle with who, when, and how each member of my family has their own area of responsibility. As all parents know, when our children grow up and are out of the house, the problems don't go away, they just change. My son married a pregnant teenager who grew up with lots of anger in the family disease of alcoholism. She stabbed my son on more than one occasion, and the marriage was over within a year. My grandchild is a pawn that both parents use to hurt each other. 
I have loved spending time with this beautiful girl. If I were physically able, I would ask for full custody and raise my grandbaby. But that is not the path I feel my higher power has for me. I deal with a chronic illness and have learned that pacing myself in all my activities is essential for my health. After a lot of prayer and meditation, I believe my role as a grandparent is to love this child and to protect her every chance I get. My role as a parent is also to let my son fulfill his responsibility as a parent. I don't want to overmanage, as Concept 6 warns against. I have my past guidelines as a parent, but I don't see my son following them. My first impulse is to dictate to my son what action a good parent should be taking, but I'm trying to apply Concept 6 to my relationship with him. Alanon has taught me to offer my experience, strength, and hope when I am asked. Sometimes I offer a suggestion. I don't have a per- Sometimes I offer a suggestion. I don't have a perfect program. But when I make a suggestion, I only allow myself to say it once. To keep repeating it would be a form of controlling. I believe accountability is a spiritual principle from Concept 6 that I can apply to my family. If I give my son no freedom to perform the parental job he has chosen to do, then I am hurting myself in our relationship. For me, this takes major letting go. As tradition too reminds me, I can be a trusted servant, but I should never govern. This program tells me that the ultimate authority is a loving God. I am reassured that all our steps, traditions, and concepts of service are in our higher power's hands. Today, I put my family, and especially my grandpaby, in my loving God's hands. I want to follow his guidance, that I may always be a servant to Al-Anon and to my family. And again, that's from the Forum Magazine, June 2017. You know, I thought there was some program wisdom in there in response to the question of how can we help a child that we see maybe in harm's way. I hope our listener might find some answers for herself in that writing. Adrian writes, Hi Spencer, I would love to see an episode about some of the other fellowships so people can know what other resources are available to them. My primary fellowship is Codependence Anonymous. I've been in CODA for four months, so I'm still new and started working through the steps. I'd love to share my experience as a guest or host and perhaps could ask people in my fellowships if they would like to participate in a roundtable with you as host. Adrian. Thanks, Adrian. That could be a helpful episode, just as I've heard from so many of you about how the Adult Children of Alcoholics episode was helpful. So I will try to step out of my shell and, uh, and take you up on that offer. R.I. writes, I credit this podcast for giving me the nudge to start going to meetings. I wanted to feel the serenity and work the program and exude what the hosts were talking about. I use the podcast to keep me sane while I'm getting deeper into the program. Also, thank you, Spencer, for continuing this podcast for five years strong, even after Kelly and Swetha left. I'm a little late, and I'm listening to the podcast chronologically and got to the Changes episode recently. It was about one of the strongest and most emotional I've ever experienced. Thank you. Thank you. Jessica writes, Hi, Spencer. I have been listening to your episode, Say What You Mean, number 179. At the end, a lady asks you to do a show about divorcing your qualifier. She said she did not choose to end the relationship and is having a hard time coping. Did you do a show on that topic? I am in the same boat and would love to hear it, but I couldn't find it in the list. I left the program for a bit because I couldn't imagine working a program but not being with him. I've since learned, lol, but it's still something in the back of my mind, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much for this podcast. I won't go into all the gory details, but your podcast has been my lifeline this past year. We only have three meetings a week, so having your podcast on demand is so helpful during some pretty dark times. I started leading a Monday night meeting, in large part because of your show. 
I hear you talking about service and the benefits of meetings, and it inspired me. I recently got my one-year chip, but this is only my fourth time leading. Before the meetings, I listened to your show to help me find a topic and just some other talking points. Seriously, you are making a real difference to so many. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jessica. And no, we never did do that show about divorcing. Um, because I don't have that experience. So again, I know some of you wrote in and said, yes, I would talk to you about that. Please write again, um, because I have lost most of your names and emails and voicemails, and we'll try to do better in the new year. Karen writes about asking for help. There we go, asking for help. Spencer, I hear how you got offers of help that you couldn't use because of your personality characteristics. I prefer not to look at my personality characteristics as defects of character or shortcomings to be fixed, but rather as aspects of my personality that I have to work with as they are. Accept them for what they are, as I heard you say in a show on Step 6. I, too, have trouble calling people because of my introverted personality. I can do it now if I need to, but it is still hard. An example, I volunteered to help find a location for an annual Al-Anon convention and tried emailing some locations and never heard back. So I did call two places, but neither one worked. Yay me for calling. I need to congratulate myself for doing something that is so difficult for me. What I decided to do next was to ask for help to make phone calls. I had two people volunteer after the meetings I announced it at. I don't know yet what will come of it, but I know that I am trying the best I can, given who I am and what my gifts are. It occurs to me that a weekly podcast often has a producer helping the on-air personality, setting up interviews and picking topics. Perhaps there is someone who would like to act as your producer, but who wouldn't want to go on air, or at least some of the time, to take the pressure off of you. So perhaps you could ask for help in a different way. Of course, to do so, you have to give up some control. But together, we can do something that we can't do alone. Karen. Thanks, Karen, for the, for the suggestion and the, and the wisdom. There's some wisdom there. Oh, but like of control, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. Eric says, congratulations on five years of podcasting. And thank you, Eric, for helping me get here. Diane writes, thank you for the difference you're making in this world and the world of recovery. I just listened to the episode on trust and trustworthiness. I'm in need of some help on confronting how, when, or if. Have you already done a podcast? I'm in a dilemma. I do not want to ignore and continue to be a navel of truth hiding. This is something that does matter to me. I don't know if we've done something specifically about confronting someone. I would suggest the episodes we did on boundaries, because I think that's probably the closest that we come. The boundaries concept is a different way of, if you will, confronting someone who's doing something that you don't agree with, that you don't like. And Jennifer writes, I'm benefiting so much from listening to your podcast in my car. Thank you, Spencer. There's unbelievable pain for a parent, me, who is watching their adult child slowly sink into the darkest depths of this disease. There's nothing further that I can do after 12 years of trying everything to help him. Extreme powerlessness and the need to turn him over daily to his HP. And that is hard. Marianne said, Hi, Spencer. Thank you for your podcast and for continuing to spread this message of strength and hope. Danielle writes, Thank you so much for this amazing podcast and the recovery it brings. I can only get to one or two meetings per week, and this is one of the big ways I get my Al-Anon fix in between. I'm so grateful for all this podcast and all that contribute to it. So I did a little binge listening today and discovered that this is a great podcast. I really appreciate what you're doing. Please don't ever stop. 
It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Debbie, Marianne, Eric, Danielle, Pat, and Anonymous did. And thank you again, Debbie, Marianne, Eric, Danielle, Pat, and Anonymous, for your contributions. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening. We are here for you. The last song that I picked is a classic, but it speaks to me of, of expectations very strongly. The song is I'll Be Home for Christmas. I chose for the website the version as sung by Diana Crawl, which you can listen to at therecovery.show slash 229. If you're not familiar with the lyrics, they go something like this. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Later talks about mistletoe and presents by the tree. And then it ends with I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. And I don't know if it's a person who is far away and unable to get home, or maybe a person who really doesn't want to be there for Christmas, but the Christmas in their dreams meets all their expectations. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.